Second, though, this is my last time speaking for a few months, so I feel like I can say whatever I want, and Kevin and Russ can clean everything up. It's going to be great, guys, so get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. Um, unfortunately, though, I didn't get a very controversial passage, so it's going to actually be pretty straightforward. Um, but I did get, we are talking about the vine and the branches today. And when I say vine and the branches, how many of you, like me, have that constant song running through your head right now? Anyone? Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. His banner over me is love. Yes, Hans knows the hand motions too. Thank you. That has been stuck in my head for about three weeks now, and I am ready for that to be done. But here's the thing about this passage. It is very straightforward. I was just talking to Brooke a few minutes about it, and she was saying it's one of her favorite passages. Um, and it's a very straightforward passage, and it's also one of those passages that because of that song and because it's pretty straightforward, it's used in kids' community a lot, and it's one of those things that you can start to glance over and just see as something of, oh, I know that, I know that, or not even think about it unless you're teaching up in kids' community. But I tell you what, as I was prepping for this message, it has been a really refreshing time to sink into this passage again. And I hope this passage is this for you as well. So if you guys would open your Bibles to John 15 with me. We're going to be reading 1 through 17. And if you guys could stand as we read this, that would be ideal. It'll also be up on the screen as well. John 15. I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are made clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can I unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in, I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in, in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy be made in you, and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in the Father, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You may be seated. Here is why this passage was so refreshing to me. I think simplified, this passage is three things. It is simply saying that God loves us, and it's saying let's love God and let's love others. Those three things. It is that simple. God loves us, love God, love others. 
And I think we try and make it so much more complicated all the time. We're trying to wrestle through things and figure things out and know what to do. But if we just lived those things out, if we just lived this as the gospel of our lives, imagine what the church would be like and imagine what the church would do if we could just focus on these three things. Just like Russ talked about a couple weeks ago, Jesus is using an analogy, a metaphor that people of the time understood and could hear. Um, Back then, fresh spring water was not very accessible, and a lot of the water that was used for drinking was contaminated. And so at that time, wine was one of the main beverages. Therefore, people were very familiar with vineyards and wine presses and all these things. So throughout the Bible, you will find a lot of analogies and metaphors about wine or wine presses or vineyards or things like that. And so Jesus is using this, again, as an example because he knows this will make sense to people. And this metaphor not only shows God's love for us, but it shows God's vineyards were smaller than a lot of vineyards today, and the vine dresser could know each individual vine. And in this passage, God is referred to as the vine dresser. A vine dresser had very intimate relationship with their grapes. And as I was researching about vine dressers and what they are and what they do, um, I came across this description of a vine dresser, and I thought that it was really telling. I think it's really beautiful, actually. It says, a vine dresser or husbandman is more than a mere farmer. Grapes are more than an annual crop. The vine dresser's grapevines remain with him for decades. He comes to know each one in a personal way, much like a shepherd with his sheep. He knows how the vine is faring from year to year and which ones are more productive or vigorous than others. He knows what they respond to and what special care certain ones need. Every vine has its own personality, and the vine dresser comes to know it over the years. The vine dresser cares for each vine and nurtures it, pruning it the appropriate amount at the appropriate times, fertilizing it, lifting its branches from the ground, and propping them up or, tri- or tying them to the trellis and taking measures to protect them from insects and disease. I think that's like a love letter from a vine dresser to a grape, isn't it? It's really beautiful, and it's the way that I want to parent my kids and do all these things. And so take that image, and that is what God is for us. Um, And for those people at that time, this describes a God that loves them deeply and intimately, who knows what they need and what they respond to, who knows your personality, your strengths, and your weaknesses, and the very depths of you, a God who lovingly cares for you, watches over you, and does what is very best for you to grow. This passage is is the tender beauty that is shown in this metaphor. It's not just a simple passage. It's the description of a God who cares about you more deeply and intricately than you can ever begin to imagine. And so I took that uh, definition or that description of a vine dresser, and I substituted God for the vine dresser and you for the grapes. Had to shift a little bit of it around um, fertilizing. I didn't really use that part. But here's what I came up with. God is more than a mere caretaker. You are more than a mere project. Your relationship with God is far more than a one-time encounter. God will never leave you. He comes to know each one of you in a personal way, much like a shepherd with his sheep. He knows how you are doing at all times, when you are up and when when you are in the depths of deep pain. He knows when you are able to bear fruit and when you need to care, and when you need care. He knows what you respond to and what special care you need. You have your own personality, your own characteristics. You are made in a certain way. God not only knows you, but created you. God cares for each one of you 
and nurtures, nurtures you, pruning the appropriate amount at the appropriate times, giving you water, giving you support, and giving you cover, and inviting you to latch on to him. John 15 is a description of a God who tenderly loves his children with an intimacy that can never be fully described. Man, God's love for you is beautiful. Now, I also looked up the definition of vine dresser on the trusty interweb, um, and dictionary.com had a little bit less of an elaborate description of a vine dresser. I personally like this one. Um, they said a vine dresser is a noun and a person who prunes, trains, and cultivates vines, which is a little bit more straightforward. Um, and here's something that I need to admit as we get into this. I'm generally a pretty positive person. I like to see the best in people. I'll give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, but for some reason, when I read scripture, I can sometimes have the tendency to look towards the negative. And I don't know what this is about me. <laughs> There's something, um, maybe, maybe other people, I don't know, is that anybody else sometimes? Nope, okay, just me. Um, I will then tend to like focus a little bit on that and be like, ugh. So I, I read about the vine dresser, and yeah, God loves me. But then I focus on the fact that the vine dresser prunes. And in my head, pruning means to take things away, to cut off, to get rid of the dead stuff and the ugly stuff. And I just assume that pruning means that I messed up. I forget that the vine dresser prunes and trains and cultivates. And God does not just prune for the heck of it, but God prunes because it's best for us. So then, of course, I go back to dictionary.com and I look up what prune actually means. And it says, prune, trim a tree, shrub, or bush by cutting away dead or overgrowth branches or stems, especially to increase fruitfulness and growth. The vine dresser is interested in cultivating and growing and increasing your fruitfulness. And here's the part of the time um, in my study that was the most refreshing for me. It finally clicked, you guys. It clicked for me that pruning produces freedom. For my whole life, people have talked about freedom in Christ, and it's this concept that I've always struggled with, because for me, a lot of times, and I don't, again, I don't know why this is, but um, I have felt at times that my relationship with Christ is more of a binding thing, because I, you're, I minimize it into a list of things that you're supposed to do. Or I hear it referred to as a slave to sin, and then you're released from that sin, and it just has never fully clicked what freedom in Christ actually feels like to me. But what the Lord has been teaching me this year and solidified through this is that freedom is not simply being pruned of the things that hold us back. Pruning allows us to be free in Christ because it makes room for us to grow into what we are meant to be, to embrace who we truly are, to produce the fruit that we personally are meant to produce. Personally, under the age of 12, Emma Pell, come on up. Kevin, do you have that microphone? Where did that go? There. Okay. Yeah, we here. Emma, can you introduce yourself to everybody? Go ahead. Yep, try again. <laughs> I'm Emma Pell. And how old are you? Uh, ten. Ten. All right, come over here. Okay. If you see this really pretty bouquet of flowers. If you were going to give a bouquet of flowers to anybody here, who would you give it to? Um, my mom. Okay. Okay. Well, let me tell you this. You get to give this to her at the end. Oh, okay. Okay. So, do you, what, do you, what do you think about this? Do you like this? Uh, yeah, except the dead ones. Okay. So, if you were going to look at this before you give it to your mom, she, her eyes are closed, she can't even see what's going on right now, what would you do to this? 
take out the dead one. Okay, why don't you go ahead and do that? Yeah, can everybody give her a little encouragement? Like, little, like, yeah, we love you, Emma, yeah, woo, yeah. Emma, you're awesome. Ah, nice, yeah, I like, thanks, Bree. Okay, so if you look at these, you can hold that mic. Would you rather give your mom this or this? That. Why? Because they're prettier. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's good. Why don't you go give those to her? Sarah, we might need the vase back, though. <laughs> but <laughs> Good job, Emma. So, yes, those are pretty. That's, those are more pretty than these dead ones. But they're pretty because they are living. They're flourishing in a way that, are, that they're supposed to flourish. They're being the flower that they were made to be. See, she didn't change the flowers that were in them or what the flowers were. She just gave more room for the flowers that were already there to be what they were made to be and to be this bouquet of beauty together. And the same is true with the vine dresser. When the vine dresser prunes back the grapes, when God prunes back things in my life, it gives room for more grapes to grow, for those things to flourish. When Jesus prunes us, he is giving us freedom. He's giving us the room to be who we truly are, who God has made us to be, and it is beautiful. Freedom is not about trying to morph into something that we are not. Freedom is leaning into who we are, who God has made us to be, and embracing that. And when we let Jesus prune us and remove the death and the things that we are holding on to, you have the room to be who you truly are. God loves you. God loves who you are. God created you to be you. Which brings me to my second point. This kind of love is impossible not to respond to. This passage starts with God loving us, and that's where we have to start. We have to start at that base. And then it moves to this invitation to abide, for us to abide in him, for us to remain in him, for us to love him. Not out of obligation, but as a response to God's deep love for us. He's inviting us to love him because he first loved us. But how do we do this? How do we love a God? How do we abide in a God that is so big? We attach ourselves to him. We abide in him. We remain in him. I was convicted two weeks ago when Russ talked about reading certain scriptures as threats instead of reading them as promises. Guys, I've got some negative stuff. I've got to work through some stuff, I think. I don't know what the deal is. Um, but this, again, I started to read through, and there was this, a couple little lines that popped out of me that I read as a threat. Um, and it's, verse four says, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, gathered thrown into the fire and burned. It's kind of intense, right? And I read that as a threat, but... Through this, again, I realize that this is actually just a really beautiful promise. It's not a threat. Jesus is saying, abide in me, remain in me, love me, I've got you, I'm your source of life, you will bear fruit with me, attach yourself to me. I am constant, I am here, and I am life. Outside of me, there is death, but in, there, in me, there is life, and it is for you. The water in that bouquet is the source of life for that bouquet. Take that away and they'll die. And on the vine, the vine is a source of life for those grapes. 
take those away and the grapes will die. And they might last for a little bit, but eventually they're going to turn into raisins, which are really just dead grapes. So let's not be dead grapes. Maybe that's the title of this. <laughs> let's not be raisins. Um, when we try and disconnect from the vine, what do you do? You naturally attach yourself to other things. So my question for you today is, what are you attached to? What is your source of life? When things are crazy, what are you really holding on to? Is your source of life Jesus? Because things are going to come. I can guarantee that. Following Jesus does not mean that life is easy and that there's no pain. But I will say that I've watched some pretty incredible people go through some pretty traumatic things. And I've watched people walk through it with Jesus and without. And the beauty of somebody holding on to Jesus in the midst of deep pain is something that can't be replaced. And as I was re reflecting on attaching, or as I was reflecting practical ways for you to abide, like reading scripture, prayer, all those things, and what I realized is that it just became a big, long to-do list. Abiding in Christ, I think, is actually just a shift in perspective. A lot of times, we try to figure out where God fits in to what is happening. But let me break the news to you. God is already there, and God is already moving. God is the center. We can abide and remain by shifting our perspective to realize that God is in all and starting at that point. C.S. Lewis said it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Because by it I see everything else. By Christ I see everything else. This is the starting point of our perspective. This is what it means to abide in him and to remain in him, that by, by Christ I see everything else. We have a tendency to limit our spiritual life and our life in Christ to church on Sundays, small group, prayer, um, reading. All those things are great. <laughs> I'm not ripping on those things. Those are great. But what if we started each day and each conversation and each soccer game and each class we go to and each mom in the pickup line, and each encounter that we have with anyone. And what if we treated it as entering into a spiritual situation, a spiritual moment? How different would that be? And remember that the, the scripture says, abide in me and I in you. This is simply the basis of a relationship. Be with each other. Christ is in us. He wants us to be with him. Attach ourself to the vine and make that the starting point of everything. From that starting point, from that perspective, everything can happen. But then what? And this is my third and final point. And it always comes back to this. He wraps up this passage by telling us to obey him when he commands us to what? To love others. Right? Doesn't it always come back to this? It's almost like it's an important thing for us to listen to based on how much it comes up in scripture. God loves us love God, and then love others. That's the point. All the pruning and all the abiding gives us the room and sets us up to love others and love them deeply and well. Love them with the love of Christ. And I love the, the way that the message puts it. It says, this is my command. Love one another the way that I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends you are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I have let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. You didn't choose me, remember, I chose you. 
and puts you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bears, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives to you. But remember the root command, love one another. Right? That is his point. Love one another. And as we close our time, we're going to enter into a time of communion, a time of abiding, a time of remaining in the Lord, a time of entering into what God is already doing. But before we do, I have a list of a few questions um, to think about this week and right now. We're going to take about a minute, and you can either pick one of these questions to kind of reflect on and spend some time in prayer on, or you can um, just think about something that God has put on your heart, either through today or through this time, and just spend a little bit of time prepping yourself for communion and for entering into this time. Anyone seeking the Lord is welcome to the table. And in just a second, the communion will be on these front tables.